Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Invisible World with your host, Frank Tadaro. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to episode 174 of The Invisible World on this February 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Frank Tadaro. It's been a heck of a week in the world of the weird and we've got a lot of stories to get through today. But first, I want to do a quick plug. Recently, I sat in on an episode of uh, History vs. Conspiracy. Uh, in place of Ray Harris over at the uh, Paranormal A Radio Network. The topic was the moon landing. You can guess the way that those cards fell, so if you have a half hour to kill, go on out and check it out at the Paranormal A Radio Network. But for now, let's skip the chit-chat and jump right two feet into this week's Paranormal News. Now first off... And this story's been on about every other Facebook page that I've seen lately, but still a weird one. From the Toronto Sun, a bronze statue dating back up to about a thousand years has been found to contain the mummified remains of a monk sitting in the lotus position. This is actually really creepy, but cool. Researchers at the uh, Meander Medical Center in Netherlands, in the Netherlands recently conducted a series of tests on this statue using a CT scanner to peer beneath its outer layers and examine the remains of the body inside. Now, their findings revealed that the mummy's internal organs had been removed and that rolled-up scraps of paper containing ancient Chinese characters had been placed inside in place of the organs. Creepy. The statue, which will be on display at the Natural History Museum in Hungary until May 2015, that's this year, until May, uh, it's believed to contain the remains of Buddhist master Liu Quan of the Chinese Meditation School. Now here's the creepy part. Yes, that, that actually wasn't the creepy part. It's been speculated that Liu Quan practiced the now banned practice of self-mummification which would have involved him slowly starving himself to death over an extended period of time. So, that's how we're starting the show tonight. And moving on. Alright, so, there's a lot of these uh, weight loss plans and all these strange things that involve chocolate. I remember back in the 90s, when I was a lot healthier than I am, all these like sports bars were wrapped in some sort of chocolate. Everything has chocolate in it. So now there's this novel new beauty treatment that came out. It's an article from The Telegraph where it's chocolate that reverses the aging process. That is not normal. That is paranormal, which is why it's on this show. might sound to be too good to be true, but according to scientists at Lycatech, a Cambridge University-based biotech company, it is possible for chocolate to help make someone look younger. Claimed to boast antioxidant levels and improve circulation, this anti-aging chocolate, esthetic, 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 like aesthetics, but with chocolate in it, like little portmanteau kind of. It is designed to, I guess, reduce wrinkles by increasing the blood supply to skin tissues. Even a single seven and a half gram bar contains the same quantity of antioxidants as a fillet of salmon 
which, as you know, reverses the aging process, of course, right? It's not true. People using it claim that their skin was better and that they can see the product is working to slow down aging. This is a former Cambridge researcher, Dr. Ivan Petyaev. This is a... This is his statement here. We used people in their 50s and 60s, and in terms of skin biomarkers, we found that it brought skin back to the levels of a 20 or 30 year old. So we're improved. So we've, excuse me, improved the skin's physiology. The product will be sold as a box containing a three-week supply, individually wrapped rations, and so forth. And I'm not gonna give this too much press, but still kind of weird, and just a bit suspect. Now, moving on, this is actually kind of neat. Going away from dietary news, which I guess what that last story was, and sliding over to Sherlock Holmes. It's more my wheelhouse here. Previously unknown short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has been found hidden away in this dude's attic. So again, from the Telegraph, uh, it's a 1,300-word tale. It was part of a book of short stories that had been put together for a local event to help raise money to build a new bridge in the Scottish town of Selkirk after the old one was destroyed in a flood in 1902. Let's give you a frame of reference as to when this was. Conan Doyle, who was particularly fond of this town and its surrounding area, penned the Sherlock Holmes story as a contribution to... Uh, fundraise, uh, to raise funds to build this bridge. So, here comes Walter Elliot, this 80-year-old gentleman. He received this book about 50 years ago. He only recently succeeded in finding it again when he was searching through some old items stored in his attic. A uh, quote from him here, I had no idea how many, ta- how many they made and sold. I've had this book for about 40, 50 so years. Must have gotten it from a friend. I can't remember buying it from anyone. I have no idea if it's ever been published. I always have been interested in history, and my family has always passed on stories. I suppose this was one of the stories that was passed down. Quite literally, the story that was passed down. Definite Antiques Roadshow kind of moment here. Rifling through his attic, finds a long-lost Sherlock story. Pretty cool. It would be great if the... uh, the BBC show gets a, gets their hands on this and kind of weaves it into a future episode, if those ever come out, I guess. Next up from the Washington Post, of all places. Ancient texts suggest that the ancient Egyptians had one of the most sophisticated healthcare systems in the world. We're talking about ancient Egyptian healthcare right here in the Invisible World. There's a common misconception that the workers who built some of Egypt's uh, best-known architectural wonders, pyramids, and so forth, are they were little more than slaves. In reality, these skilled laborers were treated with great respect and were well looked after by their employers. Yeah, right? Hard to swallow. Texts unearthed uh, from this village dating back to about 3,100 to 3,600 years ago have revealed that ancient Egypt even had its own state-supported health care network designed to ensure maximum productivity from its workers. It's a sort of easy cause and effect there. Among the texts were records of worker absences, many being due to illness. Now, documents detailing ration uh, ration distribution, however, indicated that these workers who were off sick were still receiving the same payments as those that were still working. They got paid sick days off even if they weren't doing their job for several days. Now, the text also references uh, the assignment of a physician to help treat those who had fallen sick. 
Certain types of medications, some of which were require, requiring expensive ingredients, were also provided to these, work, uh, to these workers. So it's a very interesting discovery uh, in these tomes of stuff, these, these texts. Uh, yeah, kind of something to think about. Next up from Boing Boing, it's fun to say, the legendary astronomer Frank Drake, I like that guy, believes that it would be silly to try sending messages into space. Now, we've spoken before on the show. Some scientists, such as Professor Stephen Hawking, who, I think, congratulations, just won an Oscar, have doubted the wisdom of broadcasting our existence to potentially hostile alien species out there in the black, while others have branded the endeavor a waste of time and a waste of money, I guess, too, that could be spent better elsewhere. And others believe that we already have communicated with aliens, and the point is moot, which, of course, the Boing Boing article doesn't really mention. Now, getting back to Frank Drake, the astronomer who's famously developed an equation designed to estimate how many advanced extraterrestrial civilizations there are within our own galaxy, you guys know who this is, he's weighed in on this debate by suggesting sending messages at this point in time would be futile. His objections stem from his view that the project would provide no benefit for at least another 50 to 100 years, and that continuing our search efforts would be more efficient use of resources. Drake also maintains that an advanced extraterrestrial race would unlikely be able to travel between the stars because of the immense energy requirements needed to travel even a short distance, something that we've, of course, heard before on the show. Now, his calculations uh, for a 100-year trip to a nearby star at one-tenth of the speed of light resulted in an energy requirement equivalent to the entire power output of the United States for 200 years. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to add here that everything mentioned in this article, of course, comes from the perspective of one bipedal primate race on one planet in the grand scheme of the universe. So... Not to get too uh, esoteric here, but take that into consideration. Next up, from the Siberian Times. Scientists have called for an urgent investigation after the appearance of several more craters. You guys probably know what we're talking about here. We've had several of these stories over the past year, where Siberia found itself at the center of one of the biggest mysteries in 2014 there was a number of large holes that started to appear in remote areas of the country. I think it started last July. Siberian Times reports researchers spent months investigating the phenomenon and determined that the release of gas hydrates brought about, this, uh, brought about by rising temperatures was most likely the explanation. Now, however, it turns out that the craters may be a lot more widespread in the region than had been previously believed, and that may consequently not explain them across the board. Kaijus are coming, man. Scientists have speculated that there could be several dozen more craters spread across Siberia. Some of the craters have now turned into lakes, while one in particular note appears to be surrounded by a series of two dozen smaller holes. Uh... Again, one scientist says, uh, there's a quote here from the article, we know that there can occur a series of gas emissions over an extended period of time, but we do not know exactly when that might happen. He's implying the danger in discover, uh, looking into these things. I think the takeaway here from this whole situation, I'm going to sort of cut this short, but I'm going to post it to the page as well, uh, is that there's not an established occurrence 
according to these folks that were interviewed in these articles. And as such, it's a genuine mystery. Who knows? Is this hyped up, or is it actually a genuinely new phenomenon? We don't know. And they don't know. So who knows? Now, moving from inner to outer space, interesting bit of information was making the rounds in the mainstream media and less widely read outlets. This particular uh, story was from Yahoo. Presidential counselor John Podesta, you guys might know this already, John Podesta stated that his biggest failure of the last year was not securing UFO disclosure. Podesta concluded his latest stint in the White House this past Friday, detailing some of the high and low points of his time there, as well as some of his greatest triumphs and regrets. Of particular interest was a tweet admitting that his biggest failure over the last 12 months was his inability to secure disclosure about the UFO phenomenon, a topic that he has maintained a, a keen interest in over the last few decades. Now, during a Coalition for Freedom of Information press conference back in 2002, he famously commented on the importance of disclosing the details of the government's UFO investigations to the public. Quote here from that, We ought to do it. Really, because it's right. We ought to do it, quite frankly, because the American people can handle the truth, and we ought to do it because it's the law. Now, Podesta is going to be taking on the role as chairman of the Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign, so we'll see, uh, see what kind of stuff he can get done from so high a profile position. We'll follow it. Next up, some folks in Canada had a bit of a thrill last week. This is sort of a UFO sighting. You'll see what I mean. From cbc.ca, multiple witnesses reported seeing a light in the sky that were followed by unusually high amounts of military vehicles. Social media was a buzz last week after UFO was sighted near Jackhead, Manitoba, last Wednesday night. Interest in the event was limited to begin with, but quickly gained momentum after photographs were posted online showing a large contingent of Canadian military vehicles arriving in the area. The unusual scene prompted speculation that these soldiers were there to investigate the object that had been sighted earlier. Now, I saw in different articles around the Internet there were reports of a crashed ship. There were reports of very strange lights in the sky. As it turned out, however, according to this one article, the whole operation had been nothing more than a military training exercise. I've got a quote here from Lieutenant Colonel Paul Davies saying, there is, There's no aliens, just my friends in the Air Force who were out there helping us on this exercise. I have the commander of the, that Air Force contingent sitting right beside me, and you know he assures you that it was not a UFO, but it was him. Now the exercise involved more than 150 military personnel who were being trained in what to do in the event of a plane crash and to help hunt for survivors in the harsh conditions of the Arctic. So yeah, nothing to see here. Move along, Canadians. That's you, Terry. That does lead us nicely into this week's UFO Roundup. Now first, a TV production team filming a show in Lima turned their cameras toward the sky to record a strange object. The crew had been recording a segment for the TV show Alto Al, Alto Al Crimen. I apologize for the pronunciation there. And the upscale 
Miraflores district of the Peruvian capital back in February 10th is actually when the event happened. It just started circulating in the last two days. When they became aware of something unusual hovering over the city a short distance away. Now, Congressman Renzo Reggiardo, who had been hosting the program, halted the interview so that the camera crew could film this strange purple object in the sky that caught their attention. The footage was later posted online. Of course, it's on the Facebook page. Just go to facebook.com slash theinvisibleworld. There's a link there to the original uh, footage on YouTube, not to an article or anything like that. Uh, it zooms in on this UFO while panning around to show interest that had been generating with people lining up to take photographs with their phones. Reports indicated that the object remained visible for almost two hours before disappearing. Peruvian branch of MUFON is now appealing for additional witnesses. And that's kind of the thing here. Uh, when the camera pans around in this footage, you see all of these people staring in the sky, and every single one of them has their smartphone out. Now that's the thing. Whenever there's a mass sighting, whenever there's a sighting that's in a, a very highly populated place, I remember when there are some major events that happened in uh, in this city, and everyone had their phones that whip out right away. You've got ten different angles of the same exact occurrence. So, with what reach that this show has, and whatever reach that all these places that is posted on there, uh, share your footage. If this isn't a real thing, if this isn't a setup somehow uh, to bring Lima awareness, because someone pointed out when I shared this earlier, that how come the construction workers don't seem to be looking at this giant purple spinning disc, but all the passerbys are? Uh, well, they had a job to do, who knows? If that footage exists out there, share it. Share it. Let's see another angle of this purple hubcap. Now, moving on, we mentioned MUFON to some reports. This one was reported just today, but it's of an event that took place back in 1990. I'm going to read it verbatim, so bear with me. This is from Roscoe, Illinois. It starts, On our five-acre ranch, doing a sixth-grade science project on my back deck, I saw what looked like seven or eight stars in a triangle formation. It shot off in about ten seconds at a speed out of this world. My mom barely remembers it. My brother-in-law saw the same kind and is very credible and, even though a Star Trek fan, pretty analytical, reasonable, and a respected member of his large community. I've yet to ask him about his sighting because I found out this Thanksgiving and we were all running around like holiday fools. Anyway, over the years I've almost convinced myself it didn't happen. Maybe the aliens affected our memory. I don't know. But once I started researching other sightings, I realized I wasn't alone on this. I've seen the same craft on two TV shows and numerous pictures online. The best example is the craft on the show on the show on the Giant Triangles episode on UFO hunters and chasing UFOs in August of 2012. I was calm when the craft was above the trees, but when it shot off, I knew something was cuckoo in Denmark. Anyway, I'd love an answer. Any follow-up questions you may have, I'll send a picture of our backfield and a sketch. Other than that, I'd like to know if you're going to use my story on TV. I'll keep my eyes in the sky. Thank very much. Uh, I like how honest this story is. And here you go. It's on the air somewhere. 
it's it, stories like this I I, uh, I kind of believe more. Sort of straightforward. And as the years go by, of course, you fill in the blanks. I know that there are things that I have in my head that I don't really trust the same way that you guys do, especially when you read all this stuff. When you see that shadow moving in the corner of the room, you know, you can't help that little part of your brain thinking, oh, it's a shadow person, it's an interdimensional Bigfoot, or whatever it is you happen to be looking at or interested in at the time. But that said, it does work the other way, too, when you're not into that stuff. And you're not interested in then weird, strange happenings. And then suddenly, ten years later, they're really popular on TV, and something strikes a chord, and you say, hey, look at that. That seems familiar. Moving on. Sticking with the theme here. This one was reported today on the 25th, but allegedly happened the day prior on the 24th. So, yesterday. But right in our backyard. This took place in Monroe, New Jersey. Starts, I was driving home towards East Windsor, New Jersey, on Route 33 westbound, when I saw a set of bright lights to the south, hovering over a tree line in the distance. I turned left off of 33 and onto Butcher Road and saw what is known as a black triangle UFO in the sky. The craft was hovering and started moving very slowly to the south. As I got closer, it moved over the tree line, that is, to the south, and the intersection of Butcher and Disbrow. Disbrow Hill Road, excuse me. I watched as the craft made an angular left turn and then disappeared out of view from the tree line. It did not appear to vanish or anything. It just got lost in the trees. The craft had lights on the points of the triangle, which shifted in color from red to white to blue, and had a bright circle in the center, which I assume is the bottom of the craft. The body of the craft was dark, probably black, and was visible while silhouetted against the night sky. I put down my car window and stopped at the intersection and noted no noise other than that of my car for the duration of the sighting. I went down Disbrow Hill Road to Perineville, uh, Perineville Road, excuse me, turned around and followed my path back to 33 in an effort to try and regain visual sight of the craft, but was unsuccessful. After doing some Googling, I can attest that this sighting is in line with many similar sightings that have been reported in the area. Here's another good use for the Internet, right? I've noticed that clear nights, nights where stars are extremely visible, seem to be a common motif. I had a similar sighting in the area with another witness. Sorry, I'm assuming he meant heard. Uh, in my car. No, no, never mind. It was with him with, with someone else in his car six years ago. This was the same craft. I decided to follow and try to get a picture or intercept, as I promised myself I would never let something like this go undocumented again. The first and only other time that this aircraft was, uh, I saw this type of aircraft was in January of 2009, and it was in the same area. It should be noted that this area is in the vicinity of McGuire Air Force Base. I was just thinking that myself as I'm reading this. I'm willing to answer any and all questions about the sighting. Want it to be known that these things are out there. Now, say, of course, I included this because it's right in our backyard, right the next state over. But it's also not the first triangle sighting we've had uh, in that area. So, whatever's being mistaken for a triangle, or whatever triangles might be hovering over New Jersey, this guy's not alone here. 
of course, you hear, well, he's seen multiple sightings. Can we really uh, take this with the, the kind of credence that we would any other uh, random person being surprised by the authority in his head, as we were talking about before? But he's not the only one. He's not the only one. Now, just for fun today, in Rochester Hills, Michigan, it's cool stuff from there, witness reports driving south on Rochester Road, about 645, I saw what looked like a bright star falling very fast in a straight line down from about 60 to 70 degrees to sight level until it got just about tree level. Then it stopped and began to flash a bright white light and traveled to the west until I could not see it because of tree obstruction. I also saw a helicopter within a few degrees of sight from the, from the object. It's hard to say if they were close to each other, but the helicopter had to have seen it. Most likely a tra- traffic helicopter. And that's the end of the report. Now, I wanted to include that because I actually saw something similar when I was over on the West Coast, coincidentally talking on the phone with someone. Now, the day before this happened, also on the West Coast, over in Anaheim, I, someone saw a steady red light followed by a helicopter. Here's the uh, direct report. Saw a steady red light followed by a helicopter on the skyline. As it approached, I noticed it was a triangular shape as it passed silently overhead. The helicopter in pursuit was of Apache attack style. They were both moving rather quickly, and the UFO in question passed over us. The one visible light, as it did, split into two, giving the brief illumination of a triangular craft. We were headed roughly west towards Long Beach in a straight line, lost track when they passed over the house. And that's the end of the report. And that's where we're going to end this week. It might wind things down here with tonight's final thought. So for tonight's final thought, I want to reference another UFO sighting, actually. Sort of an extension of the UFO roundup. In recent days, a pretty heavy report has been coming out of Texas, complete with multiple witnesses, video footage, and so forth. So, this national morning show, which I'm not going to say the name of here. You can check out the Facebook page and see the whole thing in video. Anyway, this show, they did a two-minute piece, a color piece on the whole ordeal. And they actually had the footage, they had the woman. It was pretty nice. So this actually kind of blew me away. Immediately after this little vignette is finished, there's this eerie, seemingly bottled laughter as they cut back to their roundtable discussion. Now, later laughs from this peanut gallery indicated that they actually just laugh like Muppets, so it might not have been enhanced. It might have just been what they sound like. I don't care much. If you think that that strange light in the sky is from the Pleiades or northern Arizona or some dude's garage in Brooklyn. Rude is rude. And that's what that was. It wasn't some disinformation campaign or false flag stuff. It was simply unkind. And if there's any takeaway from this program over the years, I don't care what you believe, no matter what you believe, do so with kindness. If you know something that you think someone else might not know, teach them. And then in turn, be open to learn, learning new things. The only way you can do that is by maintaining that same level of kindness that spawns that openness. 
gets us closer to a picture of what might be out there or what might be uh, up in Texas. So that's it. Be good to each other. The end. And with that, we wind down this week's episode. Thanks, as always, to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. Thanks to the Paranormal A Radio Network for playing us up in Canada and around the world. And a reminder, once more, keep those emails coming. If you have something you would like to hear on the show, a particular topic, uh, so a guest you want me to interview, shoot me over an email to theinvisibleworldshow at gmail.com. Remember, that's theinvisibleworldshow, all one word, at gmail.com. Once again, thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Tadaro reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward.